G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it, it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25-year-old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi and welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater Today we're chatting with Henry Alonga He's a former Zimbabwean cricketer He's been on The Voice, he's got a great uh, singing voice He's a preacher, he's an author And he's uh, based in Adelaide, South Australia Mate, it's so good to chat to you today Tell us a bit of your background, where where were you born and raised? Well hi Matt and hi listeners I was born uh, in Africa, so I was born in a country called Zambia uh, which is almost Central Africa. But if you think about South Africa being at the bottom, north of that is a country called Zimbabwe, and then the next country north is Zambia. So the capital is Lusaka. I was born there in uh, 1976. So I'll be 47 this year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we stayed there for a few years, and then we moved to Kenya, which is the land of my father's birth. And uh, we lived there maybe for a couple of years. And it was while we were there, that my mom discovered a little-known fact about my father, which was that he actually had been married before to another lady, had a huge family with her, and uh, he'd never mentioned this. Uh, and they, they got married, so clearly there was, there was an issue. Um, but far from my mom being able to reconcile that, um, that led to the split in, in the relationship. Um, my parents decided to go their separate ways. Mom went back to Zimbabwe, and Dad somehow optimistically thought it's possible to reconcile with my, with my wife. Um, but that didn't happen. In any case, he went to Zimbabwe as well. And that's how I ended up living in Zimbabwe, growing up there, going to school, etc. So 1980s, when we arrived in Zimbabwe, it also coincided with independence from Great Britain. Zimbabwe used to be called Rhodesia. And after a terrible war that lasted about 10 years, uh, independence came. And a man called Robert Mugabe, uh, became the first leader and actually ruled the country for about 37 years. Anyway, I grew up in Zimbabwe uh, at a time when re- relative peace had come. We we had a good education system back then. That's what enabled me to get into all the things I, I love doing in my life, so my music, my sport. Um, and when I say sport, I'm talking rugby, athletics, and cricket, of course, which some people may know me for. Um, and... Indeed, I, I, I had a, a great childhood and then ended up uh, at the end of my schooling getting picked just after I finished school, actually getting picked for the national side in the game of cricket. And I played cricket for eight or so seasons and became a test cricketer, played one day internationals, played test matches, 30 test matches, 51 days, played in a couple of World Cups. Um, and then I did a protest against that Robert Mugabe that I mentioned earlier uh, because of 
corruption, human rights abuses, etc. And that led to my exile, which saw me living in England and then marrying an Australian uh, and uh, starting a family and uh, eventually settling here in Australia in Adelaide in 2015. So that's the summary. That's the snapshot. I think I've told you everything about my life that you want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's wonderful to hear how God has brought you to our nation. And, uh, you know, it's so cool to hear a bit of your backstory. Let's find out a bit more about your faith journey. So uh, were you raised in a religious household? Well, sort of. My mom was very uh, religious. Uh, she was a, a practicing Catholic. She's she's since come around now, and she would describe herself, I think, as an evangelical sort of uh, Protestant. But uh, back in the day, she was a devout Catholic. But that meant that she would... Uh, and by the way, because my parents had split, they lived in two different areas of the country. So I'd have to fly across to my mom for the holidays. And that was a border for men, much of my schooling. I spent nine months of every year at school um, away from home. So during the holidays, I spent some time with dad, some time with mom. Whenever I was with mom, it would be uh, every Sunday we'd go to church. And uh, most of it was lost on me because they spoke in the vernacular language that I didn't understand. Um, so I couldn't really follow, but I was always in that environment. Mom was kind of encouraging for us to keep praying. So we'd pray before meals, we'd pray before bedtime, that sort of thing. Dad, on the other hand, wasn't so religious. I joke about this in in my book that uh, when he did get religious, he just told us that we would burn in hell if we didn't listen to him. And that's about as religious as God. Um, but long story short, um, most of my religious instruction and influence came from school. And as I said, nine months of the year at school, we had chapel service every Sunday. Um, and it was compulsory in both junior school and high school. And we had to uh, you know, sing, sing, sing the hymns as they were back then in Church of England type services and also listen to a sermon and, you know, multiply that by however many weeks uh, we'd be at school in a year times 11 years worth of school. And that's, you know, that's a lot of uh, sermons you hear and all sorts of people came to, to give sermons. It wasn't just the, the sort of chaplain that was attached to the school. Uh, it was also people from the Gideons, people from... A scripture union. There was another organization called Youth for Christ. So there was a lot of Christian input into our lives on Sunday. And also, um, during the week, uh, we'd have religious instruction classes. But of course, um, all of that's nice and fun and dandy when you're a kid. But when you get to high school and you get challenged with the idea that there isn't a God and we evolved out of some weird Big Bang billions of years ago and God is not necessary, Suddenly, it makes you suddenly find yourself going, hmm, okay, so who's telling me the truth? Is it the preacher on Sunday or is it my teacher on Monday? And so there was a, a cognitive dissonance that started to happen in my life. And around about the age of 13, 14, 15, I started to ask the big questions. And, and here's the thing is I knew that the worldview I chose would influence the way I lived. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it, Matt? Mm. If, if, if there is a God, you live one way. If there isn't, you live another way. Mm. Um, if, if there is a God, you have this idea that there's an accountability that goes with the way you live. And therefore, the way you treat your, your God and other people is important. But of course, if, if we're here just as a product of random chance and you know molecules to man and errors in the gene code over billions of years, and we're just highly evolved pond scum. That's a very, very different way of looking at the importance and the value and the purpose of life. And so around right about 16, I guess the questions came to a head. And I, I, I knew 
that the Christian message had a ring of truth to it. That's the only way I can put it. It just sounded plausible to me. I mean, I would look around the African uh, landscape and I'd look at the night sky. And to me, it was always awe-inspiring. It was always like, wow, look how big this is. Look how vast this is. Look how incredible it is. And behind it all, there must be something even more incredible because the fact that it even exists is amazing. And so all those sorts of ideas were running through my head. And I eventually... I went on a Christian youth camp. I was invited by some friends. They'd been hassling me for years. Uh, and eventually I decided to ask my dad to pay the nominal amount of $250 or whatever it was back then. And I, I got on a plane and went across and had the best fun I'd had in a long time. There were These camps weren't long. They were five days long, I think. And I might not have been the first one. might have been the second one. I can't remember. Um, but I was challenged with the gospel, the idea that there is a God that humanity has fallen, we have sinned, we all fall short of God's glory, and that there is a, a punishment, a judgment for that. You know, the wages of sin is death, as the book of Romans says, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so, actually, I'm quoting Romans. The, the gentleman preached out of Romans, mm. starting with, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.26, and then 6.26, for the wages of sin. And then, of course, he talked about this invitation that God gives to all men, and women, and all people all over the world, whoever they may be, that if they call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And so I, I did. I was 16 years old at this Christian youth camp, and I called on the name of the Lord. And the way that happened was I said a little prayer. I asked God to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life and to give me a new start and give me meaning, purpose, direction, etc. And that's what happened. So uh, crumbs, I'm 46 now. I guess that was 30 years ago, is wow. my maths right? <laughs> wow. Well, it's a wonderful testimony of uh, youth camps. Like, I came to Christ at a youth camp as well, and, you know, it's so good to uh, see young people making that commitment uh, to follow the Lord. Mm. So I'm curious to know a bit about your career and how you juggled your faith and your career. Like, I've interviewed uh, Manus Labashane before, uh, who right. plays plays for Australia, and, and he, he writes Bible verses on his shoes as one thing to remind him when he's playing mm. cricket, you know. Um, yeah. How did you juggle your faith and your, your fame as a Zimbabwean cricketer? Well, the first thing I'll say is we weren't that famous. Um, back in the day, there was no social media to make us instant superstars and YouTube short videos to replay our great glories. There was nothing like that. It was, it was pretty much uh, a slog to be on the road for months, traveling around the world and... Um, it was hard work. Mm. I mean, I, I was, it was effectively a secular environment. Mm. So anyone who's played sport at a decent level as an adult will know that, um, you know, people aren't singing Kumbaya all the time and <laughs> it's not happy, happy, joy, joy. There's a lot of hard language that's used if you get my drift. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, uh, stories that are told that are, you know, PG, less than, more than PG rated, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, that environment lends itself to one possibly backsliding very quickly. But I thought that I always wanted to surround myself with believers. So whenever I went on a tour, I would often write ahead. And this is what we used to do. You'd write a letter or send an email mm. um, and, and wait. Uh, and, and I would uh, write to the Youth for Christ or the, the you know, I, I, so I, once in a while I'd also arrive in a city and I would pick up the yellow pages or the white pages. 
um, the phone book and look up any local churches that were in the proximity of where I was. And I would, you know, call them up and say, hey, listen, can I come for an evening fellowship or whatever? When do you guys get together? Mm. And if it happened to coincide with a day off uh, when we weren't uh, playing uh, a test match or a one day, um, I would try to catch up with people, go to a service, fellowship, etc. And once in a while, I'd be invited to share, share my testimony, especially if I um, let people have enough uh, lead up time. Mm. Uh, and so, so long story short, I tried to make, I tried to be intentional and deliberate about putting myself in, in good places with good people, if you get my drift. I, I didn't want to, to just stay in that toxic environment, toxic to Christianity is what I mean, mm. uh, of just constantly being around testosterone-filled, aggressive guys who just, you know, told weird stories all the time. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'm thankful to the church that they, they were open to me. Years later, I still have friends from some of those visits overseas. I've got some friends in New Zealand and even in India and Sri Lanka that I still keep in touch with because of those connections that we made on those trips. But of course, on a personal level, um, I still I had my Bible. I'd read my Bible. I would do quiet times. We used to have these these devotions back in the day. They probably still exist, but they were they were these small pamphlets, and they had. Um, uh, gosh, what was it called? My Daily Bread. Our Daily Bread, I think it was yeah. called. And it, and it was a free uh, pamphlet that you could write for and they'd send it to you and it, it went through uh, a schedule every day. There was some scripture and a little story perhaps that accompanied it. And then you'd say a little prayer at the end. Um, and, and so those were very helpful whenever I traveled. And I also, like Labashane, probably um, had some scriptures tacked onto the inside of my cricket box uh, which we used to call a coffin. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, for example, things like that. Uh, we're more than conquerors. That's the sort of thing, you know, I'd have on the inside of my coffin. So um, I tried to keep in touch with my spirituality because this is the way I saw it, Matt. I saw myself as a Christian first who just happened to play cricket. Yeah. And so, you know, if I was a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or even a DJ like yourself or a pastor, um, those, that aspect of my life would still need to be done. You know, you'd still need to meet with God regularly. You'd still need to fellowship regularly at a church. You'd have to have your own personal faith walk. You'd listen to praise and worship music all the time, sort of thing. So um, my, my cricket career didn't negatively impact my Christian faith is the way I'd say it. Mm-hmm. Now, the other reason uh, you're well known in Australia is because you sung on The Voice on TV and uh, I've watched a whole bunch of your YouTube videos, and i just got to say, too, I love your version of The Holy City. That's one of my favorite songs. I saw that on your YouTube channel. Oh, wow. Uh, and so, <laughs> so you've released some some albums. You've released a book and an audio book and all that kind of thing. But let's go back to, to The Voice. Tell us what it was like going on uh, on the blind auditions on, on TV. Well, I'll, I'll try and just give you a quick summary. So I didn't actually volunteer to go on The Voice. Um, and what happened was they me an email. They, they, someone had recorded a performance of me performing with the uh, police band here in Adelaide at the town hall, put it up online, and somehow one of the scouts came across it. And so they sent me an email and said, hey, would you, have you ever considered being on The Voice? And I'm like, nah, not really. It's not my thing. I, 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 I actually personally don't like those types of shows, <laughs> to be honest. I, I think they're so contrived and they come across a little bit fake. And I don't always think that they have the artist's interest at heart, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, 
And so long story short, it took some convincing. Um, and initially I thought it was the UK version of the show as well. But long story short, friends said, why don't you go for it? And so I did. And you've got to go through all the hoops to get on to, to get to the blinds. Because they've, they've kind of got to weed out the people they don't think are good enough for the show. And then they, they end up with a small shortlist. And so I made the shortlist of a hundred and however many um, that actually get on to get past the blind stage. So I, I sung This Is The Moment, which is a song that was chosen for me. Um, it's a song from Jekyll and Hyde. And I, I think I, I, I did a decent rendition of that. In, indeed, I, I got three chair turns. Guy Sebastian decided he didn't want to turn. And the interesting thing is I would have gone with him if he'd turned, but he didn't <laughs> turn. <laughs> so I thought I'll go with another Christian. You know what I mean? So yeah. anyway, long story short, I went with a lady called Kelly Rowland from America. She was mm -hmm. part of a band called Destiny's Child, who I listened to as a, as a young man growing up yeah. and loved. Uh, and, and I got through to the third stage, which is the battles. So I sung first round. I did this is the moment. Second round, I, I kind of messed up, actually. I forgot my words on stage, but they let me carry on. Uh, and I sung Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King. And then the, finals, uh, the final song I sung was a battle song, which was a mishmash of uh, an Eminem song and an Adele song. So it, it was Lose Yourself in the Moment and Skyfall. Um, and so I got ejected after that. Now, as far as the experience was uh, concerned, it was, it was quite nerve-wracking, as you can imagine. But it's, it's a very cold studio. Uh, you walk out on stage for your blind. You've got these chairs turned away. You have no idea how they'll respond. You know that some people don't get picked, and it could be you. So there's a lot of emotional turmoil that goes with that. But apart from knowing it might be viewed by millions, it's actually a small studio with maybe 200, 300 people sitting there. Yeah. And um, it's not as, you know, it, it, at least in the early rounds, it's not, it's not 1,000 to 2,000 people. It's very small. Uh, and long story short, it was great to go through. I, I guess they, they, I brought a bit of diversity to the show, so maybe that's why they picked me. <laughs> you know, I'm an old guy. I'm not, I'm not Caucasian. <laughs> so that's a nice box that was picked. <laughs> um, but, but it was a lovely experience. And I wish I could have gone further, but, uh, you know. Well, I've had a good look through your YouTube channel, like I said, and, and I've really enjoyed. I know you do a great version of The Prayer, and uh, you do some good covers of, of songs. You've reached, re released some original songs as well. Uh, you've got a book yep. out as well, uh, and you've done the audio book, I notice, as well, which is uh, great to have that available as well. It's uh, not finished yet. Oh, isn't it? Okay. That'll be no, that's not done yet. That should be done. I'm actually looking at it right now as we talk. I'm, I'm editing it. Oh, good. Um, that will be ready hopefully by the end of may or mid to the end of june okay so um, and, and of course it should be available in, uh, available in all the major stores uh, audible uh audiobook.com google play you name it. it should be available in all of them wonderful well, if people want to find out it's more basically the, it, it's basically the story of my life so from birth all the way through to about 2012. wonderful and if people want to find out more, the website is henryalonga.net uh, or you can search up Henry Alonga on all the social medias and uh, the book's well, called... I, 
I, sorry for interrupting. That's that. right. I was going to say, I haven't updated my website <laughs> for about <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> you, prob- you probably want to look at the social media side of things, like especially my Facebook. I'm much more active on Facebook than anywhere else, I reckon, even though that's pretty poor as well. But <laughs> Facebook is probably the one. <laughs> awesome, mate. Well, it's been so good to hear your story today, and uh, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for your time. God bless. Thank you, Matt, and God bless you and your listeners. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. There you'll also find links to all of our social media channels, and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry, and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater, and my challenge to you now is to go and make history. Matt Prater's latest book is now available. History Makers, devotions, downloads, and dad jokes. It will take you on a journey through God's Word and will hopefully give a few laughs along the way. It's just $15 plus postage. Order now at historymakersradio.com. Discounts available for bulk orders. The heart behind this book is to challenge people to get into the habit of daily devotions with Jesus. Find out more at historymakersradio.com. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.